everyone, welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time, critics poll week by week, and discuss what makes a great film great. I am Brian. And I am Hannah. Yes, and today we will be reviewing Sherlock Jr. in the style of Sherlock Jr. Silently? Yes. <laughs> anyway, right, end, of end of podcast. Okay, uh, but we've got to do it for forty-five minutes if we want to be like this movie, right? Got to do forty-five, 45 minutes, minutes of silence. All right. Well, could you give us a nice little uh, plot summary here? I would be happy to. So, Sherlock Junior. Um, is a silent film in nineteen twenty-three. 24. 24, so close. Uh, plot summary. So there's a projectionist and wannabe detective. He buys a $1 box of chocolates for a girl he likes, but his rival called the Sheik, Shake? Sheik? Sheik. Sheik. Buys her a $3 box of chocolates with the proceeds from stealing the girl's father's pocket watch. The projectionist, who again is studying to be a detective, we don't know if he's like in detective school or is just like teaching himself, like if he's like an amateur, I don't know the situation. I think he's an amateur detective. Gotcha. Anyway, the projectionist, who is studying to be a detective, begins to suspect the Sheik, but is framed for the crime himself. However, the girl discovers that the Sheik is actually the true thief. Later, the projectionist falls asleep while he's showing a movie and somehow in his dream enters the movie, becoming Sherlock Jr. In the dream, uh, the Sheik steals a pearl necklace and attempts to kill Sherlock Jr. to cover it up. The Sheik then kidnaps the girl and Sherlock Jr. rescues her after a series of pratfalls. <laughs> Waking up, the projectionist then discovers the girl who does... Uh, who now knows the truth about him. And as the movie ends, the projectionist woos the girl uh, using the techniques he picked up from the romantics in the movie. Yes. And that is the entire movie. That's it. 45 minutes. Pretty quick one. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, Hannah? I was bored. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say this movie doesn't belong on the list. I'm yeah. sure its contribution to film and cinema are very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. I I think I enjoyed it less because I could tell you weren't enjoying it Aww. as I was like reflecting on it. I was like, eh, that's it's actually pretty good." But you know how sometimes the energy in a room is just like a we don't like this film energy. Yeah, I just I was bored and I was too tempted to scroll through my phone and you can't really do that in a silent movie because no. there's no dialogue. And so, I mean, what I saw, I, you know, was like, yeah, that's probably important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about Buster Keaton. Okay. So Keaton grew up in vaudeville. Um, both of his parents were involved in vaudeville. And he was actually known to do all of his own stunts as well as occasionally the stunts for his co-stars that's pretty cool for instance the uh the scene where the policeman falls off the motorcycle Mm -hmm. that's actually buster keaton (laughs) so yeah yeah and yeah he uh made a whole lot of films in the 20s here he would pump out like three or four films a year like this usually pretty short james cameron should take note 
He should. He should. <laughs> there are two Keaton films on the list. We have this and The General, um, which is maybe the better known one and a little bit more feature length. But this has been more of a cult classic, was uh, didn't perform particularly well at, at the time, but um, has come to be uh, quite loved since and is included on the list here. So... Yeah, uh, I think what stood out to me were some of just the seemed like classic vaudeville type gags. You've got the the spit take. You've got the <laughs> slipping on the banana peel. And I did wonder if this was like the origin of those things since it's coming so early. But they had their origins in, in vaudeville and then Keaton okay. was taking some of those things and adapting them. The for the I, screen the and... one i liked is at the beginning towards the beginning he's like cleaning up the movie theater and there's mm-hmm. the one sticky piece of paper and he like yeah. first it's on his shoe and then it's on his other shoe and then it's on his hand and then mm-hmm. he holds his hand down so that another patron will walk on it and it gets stuck to the other pat- patron's shoe you oh, know yeah. just like very very delicious delightful slapstick comedy which is really fun yeah definitely so this movie struck me because keaton directed this movie he uh stars in the movie he even does he does all of his own stunts and some of the other people's stunts is really the equivalent of like watching a one-man band where he's just doing everything for this movie and i it seems like like there's a a lot of yeah yeah i mean that makes it all the more impressive that buster keaton really i mean had his vision was so able to be executed because he mm-hmm. had control over everything and that he did mm-hmm. everything, which is yeah which is impressive. And some of this was like, just like he, he's been doing his own stunts forever and mm-hmm. uh, and that comes sort of naturally to him. But like the pool tricks part where he's doing all of the neat, that was neat pool tricks. Yeah. He practiced for four months to get those pool tricks right. Like he didn't have that down. And then, of course, they had to do some editing magic where they took all of his best shots and, and did them. But some of the pool tricks were uh, were quite cool. And I liked uh, I liked that sequence. Mm-hmm. So. That is a good point. I mean, that, you know, there's a lot of things that we're seeing in these movies that, you know, there's no CGI. This mm-hmm. is a good example of it. A bad example is in Rules of the Game when they killed all those bunny rabbits. Yeah, bad example. Bad example, because they couldn't CGI dead bunnies. So it is impressive that, you know, his his attention to detail is, is almost ritual-like and that he mm-hmm. he has to get it exactly how he wants it. And if he wants it done right, he's got to do it himself. And so... It's, it's fun to watch that level of um, just mm-hmm. devotion to his craft. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was reflecting on, like, the, the silent era in general and the limitations when you don't have dialogue or when, when you do have dialogue, you have to display it on the screen. And so it really limits the amount of dialogue that you want to put into a movie because, mm-hmm. like, a you know, a courtroom movie doesn't work in a, a silent film because you're looking at dialogue for half the movie, which which doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of uh, physical comedy really taking off in the silent era, I think makes a lot of sense because of 
you know, you don't really need a whole lot of sound for physical comedy. Sometimes there's physical comedy that's enhanced by sound and sound effects. But this sort of thing plays quite well with the limitations at the time. And so I can see why this is the sort of film that gets made at this time in terms of like the comedies. And we do have some silent films that are dramas on the list, uh, including one coming up uh, pretty soon that we're gonna watch uh, about a serial killer, which mm, I, I imagine will be very different. But... It's interesting because serial killers is a concept we're not created in. Mm, that's, yeah. that's a whole nother thing. And I also imagine like, like romance, you know. Mm -hmm. I think of the I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you from yeah. uh uh well singing in the rain and then um, Babylon then as well. Babylon, yeah. yeah. But they you know they don't need to have great emotion. Um doesn't necessarily need dialogue yeah. to, to bring it along. So a romance could do that as well. But the comedy is I think more fun to watch because you're right, they have to be very creative, it has to be very big, it has to be very visual. And you know, we can talk, I don't know if you have it on our, our agenda, but the mm -hmm. um, music. Yeah. I mean, again, there is music the entire movie. Yeah. And so something interesting that I found in my uh, research was that this has been set to different scores over the years. Huh. So and the one we watched, we, we watched it on Tubi and the music that it was set to was quite like it was very like melancholy music yes. and there were like pratfalls going on and so there was a little bit of a disconnect there but that's not necessarily an original part of the movie it's just something that's been set to it and for parts of the movie that music worked and for parts of it it didn't work for me but that's not necessarily like uh, an original part of this movie or something that everyone who sees this movie is going to experience because it's been set to different scores. Uh, this film is now in the public domain as of a few years ago. Okay. But a couple of different organizations have copyrighted it with different music set to it. And so... Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not really sure, you know, what the ideal viewing experience is of should we be watching it with music, with a specific type of music, without music, but yeah, it was it was it it, it was a little off putting, especially you towards the beginning. You were like, yeah. why is music so sad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I wanted to talk before we really get into the gags about a couple of them in particular and how they were done. Cause as I was doing my research on this movie, I found it uh, sort of interesting. Okay. So the jumping into the suitcase trick, do you remember this one where there's a man standing, he opens a suitcase and Buster Keaton jumps through the suitcase and through the man and through the wall behind the man. <laughs> <laughs> so <Miss that. laughs> yeah the way that this was done uh and keaton never revealed how it was done during his life but how did it's they find known out how then? it's known how it was done i guess other people working on the movie or whatever but uh the man uh, basically the yeah basically you have a man 
standing there with empty clothes. So the empty clothes are hanging down from him, but the man is laying horizontal on like a board at face height. So he just like tilts his face up, but there's just an empty set of clothes that, you know, someone could go through. Okay. Then you've got a false door behind the suitcase and uh, the, the barn as well for the wall. Yeah. And so Keaton can just go right through all of that. And then the, you know, the flaps fall down really quickly. And so it looks like he's jumping through a person. So. I feel like the Magician's Alliance is going to come for us. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I am. I am not complicit in this. Mm-hmm. We demand to be taken seriously. Wait, no. <laughs> I'm so not part magi- of it. This, the Magician's Alliance uh, uh, credo. Illusions. Illusions. Michael. Illusions. All right. Um, if you don't get that reference, I don't know if we're your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was another one that came up in my research where uh, Buster Keaton is running across trains. And then there's a big, uh, basically like this giant, you know, foot, uh, foot in diameter hose thing that's hanging from up high. And that water like blasts him onto the floor. Mm-hmm. That actually, the water pressure wasn't supposed to be nearly that high mm. as it is in the film. And the water hits him stra- and like blasts him straight to the floor. And he actually hit his neck on one of the, the on the railroad line. Oh my gosh. And fractured his neck. No. And didn't know for years and years that his neck was fractured after this and just like kept filming and stuff. But yeah, he uh, he hurt himself pretty bad. But that clip actually appears in the film. Oh my gosh. Him getting glassed. So just like the complete surrender of using your body for the sake of comedy definitely uh, stands out in this obviously it wasn't intentional with this one but (laughs) like how after that happened they were like well we got it on film now so might as well use it yeah we won't do it again um, but if this takes good that's wild all right ready to play a game let's play a game all right we are going to be rating the gags in this movie so i was writing them all down anything that stood out to me while we were watching the movie and so we're going to rank on a scale of one to ten how funny we thought the gags were excellent okay so the first gag that i have here is the shadowing gag where he is walking behind the sheik very closely and there's a couple things that happen like the sheik walks up a staircase and they do a depth perception trick where he doesn't walk up the staircase and runs into a wall instead and so I, I thought this was pretty funny. What do you got out of 10 for this one? I'm going to do a 10 out of 10 on this one. Yeah. That was so funny. Well, I think it's because you, I don't know if this is the first instance of this ever in art, but mm-hmm. you see this all the time now. You yeah. see like the episode of Friends where Phoebe is stalking her sister's stalker to make sure he's not still stalking her sister. And yeah. it's like the creepy music. You get this in the uh, Michael Scott Meredith Palmer rabies awareness fundraiser program race for the cure or whatever yeah. where um Andy is terrified of nipple chafing and so he's drafting behind Kevin and you know like it's just I I love this one I think yeah. it's so funny I don't know and it's just like such an opportunity for um 
the projectionist, I don't even know if he has a name, or yeah. Sherlock Jr., to um, make mm-hmm. fun of the chic in a yeah. really fun way. So I appreciated it. Yeah, yeah, I think this is the first one that made me, like, audibly laugh while yeah. we were watching. And so I'll give it an 8 out of 10. I don't think, uh, I think there are better ones on this list. Well, that's fair. Uh, sticky Paper that you mentioned earlier. I thought this was great. Yeah. I thought this is the first example of just, like, man uses object with full control over object yeah i mean obviously the 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 shtick was that he didn't have control over the object but like the actor Mm -hmm. but buster keaton very much knew what he was doing his comedic timing and it was impeccable Mm -hmm. i thought that was this one was great as well yeah so i uh, i was a little mixed on this i'll go five out of ten i uh um the all of the papers being in the same place when he's cleaning up are people just like throwing their trash on the floor and oh there's already an established pile well, he probably so swept it just... you know, he probably already swept all that into the pile but then someone who comes and gets him and tells him to anyway i was confused about the pile um, well, we learn he's a very I, he's a very uncommitted projectionist. So he probably like yeah. swept the pile and then was like good enough. Like it's not yeah. like I I think that was. I also have just work. an aversion to getting things stuck on my feet. That like if there's a sticker there or whatever, I I don't like it. So I just don't like that rest represented in film. You know, <laughs> not my uh, not my cup of tea. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's do the uh, small engagement ring. So. so funny. I don't know if it's an engagement ring or not, but uh, our projectionist gives the girl a ring and she can't quite see the diamond on it. And so he gives her a magnifying glass so that she can properly appreciate the ring. Uh, Very funny. I, yeah, the magnifying glass part was funny, but even before that, I thought just her reaction to the tiny engagement ring was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And then she kept looking at it and was like, Huh? What? Yeah. Huh? So I thought that was great. She is very talented, played by Catherine McGuire. Catherine who, McGuire. Uh, was apparently not the first choice in this movie, and I don't know if she's in uh, any other Keaton stuff, but I thought she was very good in this. She was wonderful. Next up, we have the banana peel. So this is like a little subversive joke where he tosses out the banana peel for the sheik to trip on and the sheik stops just short and then he forgets about the banana peel and then stands up and runs over himself and trips on it. So I thought it was funny. So great. Yeah. Iconic banana peel. Come on. So great. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the like the the misdirection that you think it's going to be the chic and then it's not mm-hmm. so good love it yeah okay next one the projector screen keeps changing so this is when he first enters the movie and the uh the scene keeps changing from like a, a beach to you know different just different settings behind him but he is sort of in the same place and he'll be like sitting in a, on a rock and then the scene will change and he'll be sitting on nothing. So he'll fall down a pratfall, if you will. So what did you think of this one? I thought that one was really, really creative. Yeah. I thought to like use the multimedia as yeah. your prop versus mm-hmm. a physical prop, like a uh, sticky paper or an engagement ring or whatever. So I thought that was really creative use of, yeah. um, 
of the screen and probably not something that was super common in in this type of it uh, was not and uh i i read that they used some like measuring instruments to make sure he would be in the same spot and it it works up pretty it really well does. um where where you know if you're looking for it of course you can see that uh, he's changing position slightly but but it does uh it does work for me pretty well yeah this one um I was not quite ready for the shift into surrealism in this movie. So that's sort of real abrupt. It was real abrupt. Yeah. yeah. He falls asleep and then, you know, all of this surreal stuff starts happening. But, uh, but looking back on it, you know, I do appreciate the surrealism aspects of this movie and I think it's well done. So I, I did like this one. All right. Next up, we have the projectionist thwarting various murder attempts at the pool table and an axe falling on the chair and and uh poison at one point as well so what did you think of uh of this stuff i mean you know me i love murder so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh i i thought some of the the pool stuff was very funny uh how he just keeps missing this uh one uh, pool ball that's supposed to explode and then when he does hit it it doesn't explode it turns out to be a dud so yeah i liked it that was good this next one i thought was genius all right so the next one he jumps out of the window into an outfit to hide from the sheik and his conspirators i mean he jumps out of the window not not then lands and puts on the outfit i mean he jumps and mid jump puts on a little old lady outfit are these like the job stripper pants sort of situation where you got like a series of snaps and stuff (laughs) we are a arrested development stand podcast yeah um yeah i just thought like (laughs) it was so unexpected that level of so i was Mm -hmm. a dancer growing up and had to do a lot of very intense costume changes some of which Mm -hmm. they made us practice costume changes because they were so involved and um, we had to do them like in, you know, X amount of time, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and so this was just like very aspirational for yeah. young, young Hannah back in the day. So, yeah, I thought that was genius. I would have loved to watch like the rehearsals for that. Like, OK, yeah. here's how your dresser needs to hold the angles of everything that must have been so fun and immediately after jumping into the outfit keaton's just like do 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 i'm a normal person oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> and, an and all of the conspirators run out and you know just you know go right past him it's it's very like the timing of it is so quick and so funny so good uh okay next one the policeman falls off the motorcycle and the motorcycle steers itself while Keaton is on the handlebars. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it was fine. I was well, I was just confused about the logistics of how they shot this. I mean, knowing some of the other stuff about how this was filmed, I'm guessing that Keaton was actually just on handlebars without anyone driving this motorcycle. So I'm just more concerned for his safety in this, even though it's been almost a hundred years. It does, yeah. Well, with that we know that he, you know, fractures his neck in the filming of this. So yeah. here's the thing: I, uh, I know you haven't listened to it much, but like the Office Ladies podcast, where they go yeah. through their old diaries, and so it's the Office. There's not a lot of like dangerous things, yeah. but they literally, if they have a candle lit 
have to have a safety meeting about fire. Like the CYA safety meetings, and which is good. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't want people dying. Yes. Or getting hurt, fracturing necks, etc. But like the level of probably, well, you know, because it's probably because of the union power within Hollywood that these things exist. But the yeah. le- like the level of safety and precaution that exists now and then going yeah. back and watching this. <laughs> and it's it's funny because if anyone else had directed this film, it'd be so like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they put Buster Keaton through this. Yeah, but he's directing the film. He's, he's putting doing himself this. through it. This is he, self-inflicted. M- m- just to get a laugh. Malarkey. Yeah, some malarkey. people will do anything for a laugh, and sometimes they're comedic geniuses. Make you know? them laugh. Yeah. Make them laugh. So that's the uh, the motorcycle bit. I do think he uh, he there was also an injury uh, while they were filming the motorcycle uh, scene. He yeah, that sounds about right. A bit. But you know, so, whatever. Yeah. Okay, so jumping through the suitcase and man, which we've already talked about, how did you feel about this? Well, one? now that I know how it's done, it's less impressive. Yeah, it was very impressive <laughs> at the time. It gave me a momentary like, whoa, what just happened? And then I forgot all about it, so I didn't really think about how it was done. But yeah, that was uh, that was a very interesting one. Uh, this one uh, uh, it was actually towards the beginning of the film, but describe the doll- dollar you lost, where he's like cleaning up the trash and the girl comes and is like, oh, I left a dollar in here. And he asked her to describe the dollar she lost, like how wide is it? How tall is it? What material is it made of? I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> I, know, I feel like it's not, yeah, it's not like a physical thing. It's just like a... Yeah, just the silliness of it. Yeah. It's a dollar. We all know what it looks mm-hmm. like. It's a standard thing. And it's a, it's a very silent film thing, you know? Totally. It's a good stuff. Uh, last one here is the projectionist watches the movie to learn how to get the girl. So I thought this was super tender um, because, you know, the movie that's playing mm-hmm. is very, you know romantic and he grabs her and he smooches her and it's mm-hmm. so sweet. And Buster Keaton's character is very, very, I wouldn't say it's like a respectful thing. I think it's just that he's just very inexperienced. And yeah, very like there's tender. A, there's a point earlier in the movie when um, the girl wants him to hold her hand and she like puts her hand down and he hovers his hand above it. And he's like, no, no. And he takes it back. And then she slams her hand down again. Like, listen, dude, you will hold my hand. Like, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that for him to, like, be watching how to mm-hmm. get the girl. And then he's he's emulating it. But it's still in this very much, like, like on the movie, there's a big passionate smooch. And yeah. Buster Keaton just gives this girl a little peck, you know. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then you flash forward to the people in the movie having babies like have been surrounded by babies yeah. and Buster Keaton's like huh like, <laughs> yeah he's like I, I, maybe might not want to copy everything I just thought like the the implications of reproduction there were I don't know if he was... <laughs> it was a funny note to uh to end to, yeah and then the movie ends and yeah so. so they do pack a lot into this movie mm-hmm. for it being boring well they <laughs> again i mean here's here's the thing guys it is so easy 
to sit on your phone and scroll during a movie, particularly if you're like on your comfy couch, mm -hmm. eating some Cheez-Its, snuggling the dog and there's, there's shoes to be bought online, you know? So mm -hmm. I, um, I'll be better It this, you know, the movie was wonderful. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad mm -hmm. it exists. I'm glad to never watch it again. Yeah. But we do have another Keaton to watch. Yay! And for that one, I will commit to you, dear podcast listeners, that I will not be on my phone. Mm, sounds good. Okay. A um, couple of things before we wrap up here. So we talked briefly about the sort of surrealism in this movie, but that carries through essentially the the second half of the movie where he is like dreaming and play acting in this film and uh how did that how did that work for you did you like the dreamlike quality of that sort of second half of the movie i thought it was good i think i was mm -hmm. just a little confused like we said i mean the yeah. onset of it was just like wait what's happening yeah um and but then i appreciated it i thought yeah. it was kind of a, a form of escapism that mm -hmm. felt welcomed yeah it's interesting to me because and i i guess seeing some of keaton's other films might help with this because they're not that way to my understanding but it's weird to me, surrealism is surrealism because it's not realism. And so it's playing on your expectations of what a movie should be. But with everything, like, it's still slapsticky in the beginning of the movie. And it's still, like, not, it's not a realist film before it gets into this, like, dream sequence. So the the contrast there i don't know if it entirely like works for me in the same way that i've been watching a lot of uh louis bunuel who i quite love but a very surrealist director as well and and will do a lot of things but those are contrasting with the films of the time which he does start out in the 20s but a lot of his classics are in like the 60s and 70s when you have a little bit more realism to the film industry at that time. And so there's a little bit more of a contrast maybe uh, in what he's doing. So I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was interesting and I did think it added some depth to the film that otherwise would have just been a series of gags. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I thought it was interesting. I don't know that it works as well as like Boone well films do to me. I love Boone. Oh, well, yeah. No films on the 100, some films on the 250, though. Okay. So I'll have to show you some uh, Boone Well separately. Does, does Boone Well do it well? He does, yeah. Boone Well, Doon Well. Boone Well, Doon Well. There it yeah. is. All right. Um, we talked about the scores already. Any final thoughts on this movie? Yeah, I feel like I should apologize to the movie for not giving it my full attention. But uh, also the, the movie, movie should apologize to me for not grabbing my full attention yeah i saw oh i i don't remember where i saw this but there was some critic who said oh what directors need to realize is that i am me and three hours of my time is worth more to me than three years of the director's time of making this movie okay. so uh but basically the point is 
you you only have one life to live and if you don't like something then that's totally okay even though a lot of other people may like it and a lot of work put into it you're allowed to like what you like because it's your life yeah and it's your time and art doesn't have to be made for the consumer like art isn't validated by how the consumer receives it Mm -hmm. um and i mean consumer as in person who takes it in Mm -hmm. not person who spends on it but at the same time yeah there there you know if if what you're trying to create if the point of it is to make money then you got to think about that but you know buster keaton's dead you don't need my money he's dead right yeah probably yeah so our 2001 a space odyssey fact of the week so I love the way that Hal is shot in this movie because um, the uh, Hal is like this circular red like camera lens looking thing, mm-hmm. but the uh, you know obviously the frame is a rectangle. But they shoot Hal in such a way that like the top and bottom of the circles are cropped out of the picture. And so you just get this like arc. It's a very cool shot anytime Hal is shot in this movie. I think it's very uh, inventive. Rather than just zooming out a little bit and showing the full circle, just show part of the circle, you know? Yeah. So uh, our next movie here is La Ventura. It's a Michelangelo Antonioni movie. This was my pick. I love Antonioni. I'm excited to watch it. I've never That's seen this one. That's a lot of vowels. Antonioni, oni, oni, oni. I'm Italian. Yes, <laughs> Italian. Probably the coolest director to ever direct anything. Films just, what? Films are That's just a lofty. So cool. That's a lofty. Who thing. do you think is the coolest? Director? I don't know, but the coolest director to ever direct anything is what you just said. Yeah, I know his films are very cool. I mean, sure, you but... might not like them because there's not a lot of plot, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's all very right. like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all about the mo- it's all about the vibes in an Antonioni movie. Mm, loving the immaculate vibe. Mm, yes. All right, y'all. Uh, HBO Max and Criterion channel for La Ventura. La Ventura, HBO Max and Criterion channel. Okay, so this has been What a Picture. We think you all are great. We love you. You don't have to love Sherlock Jr. Or any of these movies, really. It doesn't matter. And thanks to Hannah, who is delaying her trip out of town to record this podcast. Thanks to Brian for doing all of the planning for the podcast every week. Yes. (laughs) We make a great team. (laughs) Yeah. Usually you're the planner in our relationship, but I uh, I just enjoy doing the outlines more than you Well, you know, maybe you're doing the outlines because I'm busy doing everything else in our lives. That's true. We have a really great thing going on. Yeah, we've got a system. We just play to our strengths and our our preferences and somehow everything Mm -hmm. gets done. (laughs) I've asked Hannah before, like, do you want my help with some of this stuff? And she's like, no, because you do it wrong. (laughs) Very true. All right. Anyway. This has been What a Picture. A little insight into our marriage there. And we'll talk to you next week. Welcome to the madness. Woohoo!